Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Good evening. You turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We are getting close to the end. Uh, it doesn't seem like we've been in Ephesians that long to me. I don't know. Um, we've probably started uh, maybe September and then took a break for Advent. Um, but it really hasn't been that long. So let's do a little bit of an over book, overview of the book to, to just begin. Remember, uh, the first three chapters, God is telling Paul is telling us what God has done in Jesus uh, for believers. He has predestined us from before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him. One of these days, Jesus will present us before the Father if we're trusting in him. If he has saved us, if he has brought us from life into death, then or, the other way around, from death into life, I get that confused. Uh, then if, if that is what he has done in you, then one of these days, no matter how you may feel about your life right now, he is going to stand there and present you before the Father, holy and blameless, without spot. I don't know about you, but that makes me feel pretty good. I, I, I know I look at my own self and I, look at, I see my own sin and, and discouragement for, for I, I don't feel like I've made the amount of progress that I, I should have by this time in my life. And maybe some of you older folks can feel the same way. I don't know. But one of these days, we'll be presented holy and blameless before the Father. He has brought us from death into life. He has adopted us as his children. He has revealed to us the mystery that was held secret for all the ages before. These are all things that God has done for us. He has, he has torn down the wall between Jew and Gentile. He has reconciled people who had nothing in common, brought them together into one new man in Jesus. And with all of what Jesus has done for us, what God has done for us in Christ, in chapter 4, he turns the corner and begins to tell us, now walk, on the basis of what God has done, walk in, uh, in that reality. Walk like uh, in a manner that's worthy of that calling with which, with which, with which you've been called. We've seen how he tells us to put off the old man and put on the new. We've seen how he tells us to be imitators of God, like beloved children. Again, looking back, he's called us, he, he's adopted us as his sons, and therefore we're to be like obedient children, and we're, we're to be um, um, imitating him, just like, a fa- uh, just like a child imitates their parents. In... Last week and in this week, we are looking at what is called a household code. Uh, Paul has it in this book. He also has something very similar in Colossians. And, and Peter wrote the same uh, kind of, of code in, um, in 1 Peter. And it begins, a verse before it begins talking about husbands and wives in saying, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. He's telling the church, because of what God has done, we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then 
In, in last week and in what we're looking at this week, he's spelling that out. What does that look like in submitting to one another out of the fear of the Lord? How, how does that look like between a husband and wife is what we looked at last week. How does that look like between parent and child tonight? How does that look like in the context of master and slave, which we don't have slavery as an institution today? But for much of human history, that was the case. And we still have places where this will be relevant to us in our lives today. So what we're looking at tonight is particularly children and parents and masters and slaves and how we are to live in those different contexts on the basis of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. Let's look at our text, beginning in verse 1. It'll be a shorter text tonight, beginning with verse 1 through verse 9. Children. I'm going to pause there. Lily and Jackson and Joshua, JJ, and I forget everybody's names. Children. That's the first thing he says. I'm, I'm just... Telling, drawing this out so that you will pay extra special attention. God's word is speaking directly to you here. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would as you would Christ, not the way of, in the, by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Whether he is a bondservant or is free, masters, do the same. And, do, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is the, both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we pray that you would speak to us tonight from your word. Lord, that you would soften our hearts, that you'd give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, may we not be hearers only, but that we might be doers. Lord, we rejoice in what you have done for us in Christ in the gospel. Let us live lives that are worthy of that. Lord, be with me. Give me strength and grace as I preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Children, I hope you're listening well tonight. I'm going to speak directly to you tonight. That's something I don't do in every sermon. Lily, Jackson, all the kids. Children, what do you want to follow Jesus as a child? 
Do you want to know what it means to follow Jesus as a little child? Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Josh. Well, Paul here tells us for children to obey their parents in the Lord. If you want to follow Jesus as children, one way you can do that, one way you can do that is to be obedient to your parents. And Paul tells us there are some reasons why children ought to obey their parents. Because it's right? <laughs> yes. The first reason, Paul, uh, Josh just got it, it's for, because it's right. It's just right. It's part of the natural order of things that God made in creation, that children should obey their parents. It's a right thing. It's a good thing for children to obey your parents. The next reason that he gives for children to obey their parents is it was commanded by God. The, the Ten Commandments, maybe you've heard of the Ten Commandments, you children who are listening. The Ten Commandments tell us to honor your father and mother. And Paul tells us here, this is the first commandment with a promise. So when you look back, at uh, the Old Testament, in, in the Ten Commandments, and you read that passage that Caleb read from Deuteronomy chapter 5, it's also found in Exodus chapter 20, it says, honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land in which you live. It says, that it may be well, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. So children, one reason why you should obey your parents is God commands it, and he promises that it will be good for you. It will go well with you. You will have, he um, promises a long life in the land to his people Israel as he, as he um, um, tells them the Ten Commandments. Does that mean that children who obey their parents never die young? It doesn't mean that. But generally, there is a promise um, that it will be good for you. It, it will be good for you. It's a matter of, of wisdom that it will be good for you to obey your parents. Now, Paul turns from talking about talking to children, and I, I, I'm, I'm, I hope that you children have, have paid close attention to this. I'm going to turn now to fathers and parents in general. Parents or fathers... Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. He has two things. He tells us what not to do as parents, and he tells us what to do instead. The first thing, he tells us what not to do. Do not provoke your children to anger. Um, the word there in the Greek actually is built off, it's basically the word for wrath, and it has a, a preposition to it. And, and the idea that it's trying to get across is provoking someone to wrath, to an outburst of just pouring out wrath. Um, and it can be something that parents can sometimes do, maybe not intentionally. I hope it's not intentionally that Christian parents would do that. But what are some ways that we might do that? We might do that. We might um, provoke our children to anger by having an, either an impossible standard or a changing standard. A child who does not know where the limits are. 
A child who, who, who may be doing something one day and it's all right and, he's, and, and, and then the next day he does the same thing and he's in trouble for it. A changing standard is something that, that can um, provoke our children to anger. And so parents, fathers in particular, we need to make sure that when we deal with our children, we, deal, we, do, we have a, a consistent standard. We have a consistent standard that they know where the limits are. Another way we might provoke our children to anger um, it, is, it is possible that someone might just get a kick out of teasing their children you know uh, it just that would that be something that comes out of the flesh um, but fathers there is a warning against provoking our children to anger we ought not to do that. They have been given to us as uh, for, to, for our stewardship, that we're to take care of them and to raise them. And, and then I'm going to move into what he tells us to do. Instead of provoking our children to wrath, he tells us, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, on the one hand, he tells us, don't provoke your children to anger. Another way to provoke your children to anger would be to be abusive, to have uh, to have to let your temper go, to, to punish in anger or something like that. To be abusive and, and fathers should never be that way. It does not reflect Christ's love. But instead, we do discipline. Um, We're to bring our children up or to nurture them. Uh, the, the word there for bring them up is the same word that uh, chapter 5 uses whenever it says that a, a, a husband should nurture his wife just like he nurtures his own body. Uh, that word to bring up has the idea of nurturing in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Uh, we are not to just let our children run wild and to just do whatever they want. But we ought to train them and give them boundaries. And when necessary, use the rod. Um, I, I said last week uh, that God gives the government the sword as a, a disciplinary mechanism. Whenever, whenever someone is doing evil in society, the government has the sword. Um, a, a church has church discipline. Whenever someone is, is not walking in accordance with Christ, then the church can go to that person with church discipline, with going to them, uh, telling them to repent, and if they don't, you can um, excommunicate them. But uh, in, in the home, God has given... Um, a disciplinary mechanism called the rod. Uh, he has not just given the rod, but he's also uh, given us instruction. Uh, when you look at the, at the book of Proverbs, it, it balances both of those things. Sometimes it's telling you to, to use the rod, you know, discipline your children. Um, a, a, a father who withholds the rod hates his son, but one who loves him disciplines him diligently. But on the other hand, we see the example over and over and over again. Listen, my son, the, pro the author of Proverbs tells us, listen, my son, listen to instruction. Be wise. Seek after wisdom. 
Those are two things that the Proverbs give to parents to, to, to teach and raise up their children. Now, when we discipline, we, are not, we should not do that in anger. We should not do that out of our own pride because our children are, are um, embarrassing us or something like that. But we stand before God and we will be accountable to him for the standard that we hold our children to. And we teach them and we do what Deuteronomy chapter 6 tells us. That we, we teach our children the way when we get up in the morning, when we lay down at night, when we're at the dinner table, and when we walk, across, walk in the way. In all of those different contexts, we teach our children the scriptures. We teach our children what it is to follow Jesus. So we've dealt now with children and parents. Now he moves on into another context um, of bond servants and Masters, slaves and masters. We think this is odd in our society today. We, don't, we no longer have um, slavery like they had it back then or like they had it in our country about, I'm thinking, 170 years ago or so, give or take. This is some cause of consternation. What is the Bible saying about slavery? Uh, in the past, because there does not seem to be a, an outright um, rejection of slavery, some have used the Bible to defend slavery. Um, they, they point out the fact, which, which there is a truth to this, the Bible was not... Uh, Paul's point here was not to outlaw slavery, but it was to show Christians who were slaves and masters who had slaves how they were to live within that. However, what we see in this text is that the very things that Paul is saying for how a Christian should live within the context of slavery undermines the institution as a whole. And it was sowing seeds so that eventually slavery would fall to the, to the wayside. Um, uh, and, and this, you know, we think of this maybe being a modern phenomenon, something that only happened in the days of, of the American experience around the Civil War. But even Augustine, uh, back in the 300s, um, he considered slavery to be uh, against God's design, and he considered it to be a result of sin. Uh, there were some early Christians who told uh, Christian slave owners that they should set their um, set their slaves free. But what Paul is getting at again is since there is this institution of slavery in the in the day of that he was living in, how should a Christian who is a slave live? How should a master who is a believer live and treat their slaves? This is what we are looking at. First of all, he tells bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. Now, it's one thing to tell them to obey. Okay? He say, obey your masters, just like um, he had already told. It's the same word that he uses whenever he says children are to obey their, their parents. Their, um, 
But here, he follows that up with fear and trembling and with sincere heart, as you would Christ. The motivation that Paul tells Christian slaves that they ought to have when they obey their, um, their masters is that they should do so with a sincere heart. Not because, well, he, he just comes out and says it. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as a bondservant of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. We're not to just be doing it because we want to please that earthly master, but um, a, a, a believer who lives in the context of slavery would be obedient to their master because they want to please the Lord. Verse 7, um, Paul tells Christian believing slaves, they are to render service with a good will as to the Lord and not to men. So when that Christian slave uh, obeys their master, they're to consider the work that they do serving the Lord and not just serving just a man. And he finishes up these words to the Christian slave saying, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or he is free. So in that, he's telling the Christian slaves that um, when they do good for their master, and they're doing so with the mindset, I'm doing this for the Lord and not for uh, just a man, uh, Paul reminds this Christian believing slave, you will receive a reward from the Lord. You may be experiencing slavery now, but one day you will receive a reward from the Lord. He follows that up just like uh, he, he did between husbands and wives and between children and parents. He follows this up with instructions for masters. He says, masters, do the same to them. Do what to them? He just says, do the same to them. Does that mean that a, a master is to um, obey the slave? Uh, I don't think that's exactly what it's getting to here. But it's to treat the slave like he would treat even Jesus himself. The, the slave is to obey just as if he was obeying the Lord and the master is to treat Jesus the same way. Remember, Jesus came as a servant. So the way that a master might treat their servants reflects something about Jesus coming as a servant. He tells these believing um, slave owners or slave masters, he says, stop your threatening. That is not the way to treat um, slaves with, uh, among brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. That's where we really get to the crux of it here. Like I said before, the seeds that led to the eventual abolition of slavery are right here in this text. 
Well, Paul did not have in his mind a, a, a revolution uh, to change society at that time. He taught that masters and slaves both have the same master, and it's Jesus. Both master and slave have the same master, and that was Jesus Christ our Lord. He is the Lord who is in heaven. And he also points out there's no partiality with him. As he's speaking to these uh, believing masters, he's saying there's no partiality with God. So don't you think that just because you're a master and your servant is a servant in this life, that you can have any partiality before God before, because of it? He will see you and your servant both with the same equal view, the piercing view of, of God looking at um, seeing all of our sin, seeing all of our motivations. There is no partiality with him. Now, I've given an explanation of what this is in the context of slavery in, uh, in the Roman world. And yet, how does that apply to us today? Uh, well, the easiest way, I think, to be able to find a, a context for that, we don't have the same kind of economic forces as they did in the Roman world, uh, but we do have the relationship between employers and employees. Um, do your job well. When you go to work, do your job well, and your, your master, your, not master, but your boss may not even be a believer but do your job for him just as you were doing it for the Lord. In the same way, if you are in a position to be a boss, if you're in a position to be employing people, remember these words that Paul says to masters. Not, but to treat your employees well and to treat them with dignity and to remember that both you and them will one day stand before God and there will be no partiality for that. For, for that. Now, the principle that I want to get back to that underlines all these things. We looked at husbands and wives last week. We looked at uh, parents and children and masters and slaves tonight. But the principle that underlies it all, we can look back to chapter 5, verse 21, where we started. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. In whatever situation you're in, whether you're a parent, whether you're a child, whether you're employed, whether you are in a position of some kind of authority, whether you're a wife, whether you're a husband, these are the directions for all of us. These are, this is how, we've seen how we are to live those things out in our different areas of life. But we are to, as believers, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Not to insist upon our own way. To be courteous with one another. To, to be patient and long-suffering for one another. These are things that promote the unity of the church, unity of the brethren. And they're things that demonstrate to the outside world looking in that we are different because Jesus is among us. 
The final thing I want to get back around to is I want to remember where our motivation comes from. Chapter 4 told us as, as we get into this practical section of commands, we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we've been called. The calling with which we've been called is the fact that God became a man. God, who was infinite in all of his perfections, the word existing from all eternity, became flesh and dwelt among us. He, as Philippians put it, emptied himself by becoming a servant. And whether you find yourself in a situation that is subordinate or in a position of authority, our mind should be the mind that was in Christ because of what he did for us in the gospel. He came, he lived a sinless life, and he died for our sins, raising again on the third day, we don't have the power to do what's talked about in chapter 5 and chapter 6 unless he has done something for us on the front end. Have you been born again? Have you gone from death into life? Look to Jesus. He is our only hope. And we will always fall short. There are places where, where we, will, we will look at our lives and we will fall short of being able to live up to the standard that we see here in Ephesians 5 and, in, and 6. But, as Ephesians 2 tells us, by grace we have been saved through faith. Look to Him. Look to Him. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.